Thursday, March 15th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, and from Motley Fool Options, Mr. Jim Gillies. Gentlemen, happy Ides of March. Howdy. Yeah. <laughs> it is the Ides of March. Come is, it, on. is it as a holiday? Um, well, yes, it is a holiday because it's the uh, official opening day of the NCAA basketball tournament. It's the opening of March Madness. So for people like me, yes, today absolutely is a holiday. Um, I'll keep working. <laughs> Uh, yes, for non-hoop fans like you, not so much. Uh, we've got the latest on Cisco Systems, Google, and PayPal. Uh, one bit of housekeeping to take care of first. We have been getting some emails, and we've seen some comments on iTunes regarding a delay in the podcast. Uh, how do I put this? It's not on our end. So there are some technical difficulties. They're, they're not on our end. We are working with the good people at iTunes to try and fix this. But uh, if you're seeing a delay, I'll just say one more time. The fastest way to get our podcast is with the Motley Fool app, which is free. You can download it uh, from iTunes. Uh, you can get it on your iPhone. You can get it on Android. Motley Fool app does have market foolery and Motley Fool money. That's the fastest way to get it. Let's move on. Uh, this morning, Cisco Systems announced it is buying NDS Group, a video services provider based in the UK, for the cool sum of about $5 billion in cash. Jim, um, I know they got the cash over at Cisco they Systems. The they have a lot of cash. Should they be spending it on this? Is this a smart acquisition for them? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, is it a smart acquisition? Uh, they've made a lot of... Uh uh, questionable acquisitions over the Full years. Camp. Or, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say this seems like it's at uh, least a little bit more aligned with their business than it, it does. The flip cam. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's, it's no flip cam. I mean, and I think it's a good acquisition in the sense that they are broadening what they're calling their videoscape strategy, which is to uh, help uh, a lot of these video providers. You know, your cable providers, uh, Rogers Communications and Telus, uh, two of Canada's big three, are are already customers. Um, helping them better deliver. Uh, video content quickly, safely, securely, that sort of thing. Um, and they do have the cash. You know, the, uh, I looked this morning, they've got about $47 billion in cash on the balance sheet. Uh, they generate about uh, $10 billion in free cash flow a year. I mean, you know, cash got to go somewhere, you know. Yeah. Can't, uh, can't keep raising the dividend and buying back shares, I suppose. Um, so, you know... Uh, because that think, would be terrible. Well, you know, I mean, it hasn't worked so far. Unfortunately, they've they've poured a lot of money into into buybacks over the years, and without much in the way of shareholder value appreciation. Unfortunately, um, you know, I, I think we talked a little bit earlier that uh, largely too, they're trying to help spur some some growth initiatives. When you're as large as they are, it is. I mean, it's hard to keep growing, so you got to start growing by acquisition. So. You no, know, I think it'll. I I looked at it, and I, I, I it's 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 not a cheap acquisition. Uh, it looks like if the numbers on uh, Capital IQ S and P's uh, financial database are be, to be uh, believed, it's a private company, but they were publishing their numbers, and it's about five times sales and seventeen times EBITDA. So it's not terribly cheap, but uh, you know, it uh, they could they could do worse. I'll put it that way. Joe, what do you think? I shrugged when I saw this. I mean, it's well, <laughs> it's, it's a very uh, shrug-worthy yeah, acquisition. Yeah. I agree with Jim. It's like ah, they paid a good bit for it, but it's not the worst valuation I've seen. $5 billion is a lot, but they got plenty of cash, and this is a real business, so it's yeah. not something that they're really speculating on, and maybe Cisco will be able to better utilize the technology throughout their business, in which case they could bring out some synergies. But I think it's just as likely that five years from now, they'll very quietly write some of this down, and we'll forget it ever happened. So we're not going to know for a while if this acquisition worked out, whereas to go back to the Flipcam example, we knew pretty quickly that that was not working out. Well, that was a total stink bomb of a purchase. <laughs> this one, 
I think, you know, we'll get some status checks over the next uh, few quarters or after the deal closes. They'll let you know how it's going. But I think it's a fine acquisition. It's certainly not a game changer for them. Though. Well, now, we talked earlier in the week about Intel and what appears to be Intel's attempt to move into internet, uh, internet-based television services. Cisco Systems seems like they might be even better positioned. I know they're not; they're they're certainly not coming out and saying that's what this is for. But one of the things with NDS Group uh, that they get along with this purchase, NDS Group has relationships with Directv, mm-hmm. um, with British Sky Broadcasting. This seems like the kind of thing that if Cisco Systems, which really has a, a robust video delivery service, uh, if they wanted to test it on the commercial end. With consumers, it seems like they're setting themselves up. If they want to, they can do that. They can test this in a in a small way in the UK. Yes, or, or if Cisco I, starts producing their own content, my head will explode. <laughs> no, this is this is. Uh, I hate to use the term "picks and shovels" because it is more uh, intellectual and intangibles than actually making gear. Yeah, but I mean, this is. Uh, you know, you, you ask about are we going to. Uh, are, are, are we going to see a, a failure on, like, you know, the flip cam or whatever it was called? I think we're just probably, you know, once this deal is closed, we'll probably never know whether how well it's actually done. It'll just be folded into the greater Cisco empire, and, you know, good for them, I suppose. Uh, let's close on Cisco by talking about the stock. You look at the stock, uh, and as a shareholder, I, I don't generally enjoy doing that. Stock. I, just, I was sort of laughing, Joe, when you said that you shrugged when you saw this news. As a longtime Cisco shareholder, I saw this news, and my head sort of, like, drooped in disappointment. It's like, oh, yes, another acquisition. Um, the stock really hasn't moved out of the 18 to $22 a share range for about the last four years. Um, what do you think a deal like this does for shareholders? Should I, As a shareholder, should I be excited by this? Is this going to move the stock in any meaningful way? Or, or are you just sort of avoiding this altogether? Yeah, the market didn't seem too happy with it. <laughs> um, not in a big way. <clears throat> But yeah, the market has many concerns about Cisco. One is that they have a core franchise and routing and switches. It's basically getting chipped away at by cheaper cheaper competitors, and then they're taking good money and putting it after bad and putting it elsewhere. Now, the market does like that they've gotten a lot more discipline in terms of returning cash on the dividend side. To Jim's point, the repurchases, I bet if we went back and looked at the ROI on the purchases of share repurchases, it would be catastrophically bad. Like You would be very depressed. It would involve your head. Let's not do that then. Okay, sorry. Uh, In this case, yeah, I think there's also somewhat of a signal with the market's reaction today, not only that they paid a good bit for it, but also a little bit of you know, investors just like you being like, ah, like let's let's not stray from this concept of returning cash to shareholders. And part of the thesis of buying Cisco today is they do have a lot of cash and they can put it to work, but shareholders also want John Chambers and friends to be very responsible with that. Jim, what do you think? Would you would you buy shares of Cisco? Uh, I would not buy shares of Cisco. I I actually, in fact, have an option position on Cisco that I'm using to uh, bring in some income about every quarter. Uh, I because the stock has been so moribund for the last few years. That's actually what's attractive <laughs> to me on that particular strategy. But as a as a buy, and you know, it's going to go to the moon. No, I'm not terribly interested. And this deal, I don't think is going to be. I mean, it's they're buying a company that has roughly a billion dollars in revenue. Again, if uh, Cap IQ's numbers are are correct, 
That's not going to move the needle at Cisco. I mean, I mean, big picture, tech hardware is just such a brutal industry yeah. to stay ahead of the curve on. And once you build your lead, everyone chases in after the profits you're making and cuts you off at the knees on price. And before you know it, you're Dell and, and <laughs> HP is pulling the same move on you. And before you know it, you're HP. So. Uh, well, I'm I'm just glad that my moribund stock is working for Jim's option strategy. <laughs> So's Jim. <laughs> uh, a patent that Google filed back in 2008 is starting to get some attention. It is a patent for ringback ad technology. Uh, some people, uh, my father-in-law being one of them, uh, if you call his cell phone instead of hearing a ring while waiting for him to pick up, you hear music playing. Um, most people that you call here in the U.S. they they don't customize their phone like that. It's it's just hearing the ring. Um, and so now companies are looking to make money off of that time by inserting ads, audio ads, in place of the ring. Um, Joe, I think you like this idea. I do. I think it's clever, and it's a way to monetize that kind of dead air experience. Uh, obviously, some people, <laughs> including I think Jim, <laughs> would be annoyed with something like this. Yep. But I think a potential appeal, if you're Google, is using this as a way to subsidize low-cost phones. So. For example, like with Amazon Kindle, like we talked about earlier that you mentioned, uh, you place ads on there, and it helps pay for the experience. So it gets you in the door at a lower price. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's a great thing for them to chase after and test. Google does a lot of testing. They fail early and often, and I think that's great. It's one of the things I like about them. Uh, Jim, uh, Jupiter Research had a report last year that said that this market, this ringback ad market, could be upwards in the neighborhood of $800 million by 2015. Google gets a slice of that. That's I, uh, yeah. So if Google captured, if that's accurate, and and there's never any shortage of, shall we say, inaccurate market projections. <laughs> uh, but if that's even accurate, if Google captured 100 percent of that, it would add a whopping two percent to their top line. Um, you know, I can think of no. If this became fairly commonplace on, you know, for example, Android enabled phones, I can think of no better way to keep me on an iPhone. Is is there a privacy concern here? Because I could see if I can see the next step in this being that it becomes very targeted so that Joe, you know, if you're a year from now calling your wife, um, not only is an ad served up, but it's a, an ad maybe for a flower shop the or flower something shop like, around the corner. Yeah, I mean something <laughs> like like at some point, isn't there a risk that this becomes invasive? I think there would be a perception of it that some people would be creeped out. It's like the first time you logged into Gmail and you saw an ad served up related to an email mm-hmm. you were in. Like that was a creepy experience. Yeah, but we all kind of got over it because it's a better offering than everything else out there. And I think. Of all the creepy things going on on the web, including with Google and with Facebook, this would be kind of low down the list. But so, so we've lowered our bar to the extent that we're not creeped out anymore. Yeah, something's okay. got to be obviously creepy for me to be freaked out. But yeah, I do think you'd have a lot of people who the first time they experienced that would be a little bit confused. I just love that we're basically, yeah, to Jim's point, that we're basically setting the bar. It's like, well, it's not as creepy as fill in the blank. But I, I, well, Google I, would I suppose say, we're already there. Yeah, I mean, Google yeah. would say if the ad is relevant, then that's a win. What would Jim say? I'm going to stay on my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally, uh, The Motley Fool is featured in a cover story on USA Today. Today's issue of USA Today has a cover story on the effect of the NCAA basketball tournament 
in the workplace. Uh, we actually, this is one of those companies, we actually embrace it. Um, so there'll be the games, uh, the, the televisions around the company that are normally set to Bloomberg and CNBC and that sort of thing, they'll be set for the NCAA tournament games. Um, uh, our own colleague, Matt Trogden, there's a photo of him in USA Today. We had a class earlier in the week uh, that Matt was running, teaching people about sort of how to pick brackets. So uh, it, it's something we embrace here at The Motley Fool, but it's safe to say, and certainly the story illustrates this, um, it's a challenge for a lot of companies, people taking time off, that sort of thing. Uh, and one of the companies that is facing a challenge presented by March Madness is eBay. Uh, Bloomberg is reporting that eBay's PayPal division has started to uh, restrict some accounts of people it suspects are using PayPal to place bets on the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, You surprised by this, guys? Absolutely not. No? This, uh, if you have any... uh passing history with the online gaming movement, like online gambling casinos of uh, last decade, kind of between 2003, 2008 kind of era. Yeah. Um, PayPal. Jim's a gambling addict. I, so I was, does. yes. You know, I'm in recovery now. But no, uh, before PayPal was acquired by eBay, um, that was one of the preferred and growing methodology for funding these overseas accounts. And then eBay bought them and shut it down immediately. They want no part in any kind of... Uh, I mean, the U.S. government tends to go after these sites with a fair amount of vigor and force. And eBay has said, you know, we don't want to be part of that. So uh, this doesn't shock me at all. Well, I was I was talking with uh, one of our lawyers uh, here at The Fool because it, it, it seemed like, wow, this on the one hand, I look at this, Joe, and I go, wow, this seems like a market opportunity for PayPal. If they can just somehow either change their terms of service or, or that sort of thing, and it opens up this new market. But as as the lawyer here at The Fool I was talking with explained to me, no, it's a little bit more complex yeah. with that than that, where you get into like even going back to the RICO Act. And, yeah, go, and, go look at how those online gaming stocks have done since the U.S. government got serious about bringing them down. Not so not so well? Uh, I think the average loss is over 90%. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, not worth the trouble. It's a smart move on their part. They need to do everything they can to present PayPal as being a clean, safe place to transact money, not only to keep regulators off their backs, but to keep the customers uh, feeling confident and comfortable signing up with them. But somewhere down the line, whether it's 20 years from now, 30 years from now, don't you think as more states are turning to uh, gambling operations, casinos with their, within their uh, own state, that sort of thing. Don't you think that at some point the money becomes too big to resist? Yeah, if it becomes legitimate. Right. Yeah. Then in which case, yeah, I think they'd be all over it. But for right now, I don't think it would be worth the brand risk and legal headaches to go after that slice of the pie. Uh, do you have a prediction for the NCAA tournament, Joe? Man, I don't follow as- all I follow now is Georgia football. I don't have room <laughs> for anything else. I know you're busy. I know you work hard. You're certainly spending a lot of time on the podcast. And I, and not for nothing, you're getting married very soon. Yeah. So I know you can't dedicate a lot of time to it, but you must have heard something around the no, office. No, I, I consciously made the decision about two years ago that the last thing I was doing to hang on to sports other than Georgia football was listening to PTI podcast. Okay. And at some point, I was like, I can't even keep up with this anymore. <laughs> And I literally, I don't know a single college basketball player this year. I am so embarrassed to say this, but that's just where I'm at. I had to make some tough choices. This is one of those years, and, and I suppose this happens frequently, but this is definitely one of those years where the, the traditional big powers are the, you know, North Carolina, Kentucky, Michigan State. Oh, that Stackhouse kid. <laughs> yeah. He's got hops. <laughs> Did you just, like, arrive in a time machine from the early 90s? Uh, <laughs> I think so. 
Jim, if only for the purposes of humor, I'll ask you. Uh, prediction for the NCAA basketball tournament? I think it's the Vancouver Canucks year. <laughs> uh, I actually – see, I think you should be following the NCAA basketball tournament here in America because I follow – the Canadian College Basketball Tournament, which just wrapped up last weekend. A shout-out to my cousin, Kevin Churchill, who plays for the, the um, two-time defending champ now, Carlton Ravens. Uh, they won the national championship in Canada. So I follow Canadian college basketball. I don't see why it's such a big effort for you to follow American college basketball. I, I'm not too sure any Canadians follow Canadian college basketball, actually. <laughs> oh, that hurts. It that does. Hurts. Um, uh, we're essentially wrapping up Jim Gillies visiting from Canada Week here on Market Fuller. Uh, we, we have to send you back across the border. It's always great to have you oh, here. Thank you. Um, uh, Joe, anything you want to say to the good people of Canada? Well, Canada, I don't hate you. <laughs> We got an email. Yeah. We got an email indicating that maybe you hate Canada. Yeah, I, I called Canada a frozen barren wasteland earlier this week. I I realize it is not, in fact, a frozen all of it. A frozen yeah, barren wasteland. The, the operative word there being some, all of it. Some of it is. I'm sure there are many nice Canadians other than Gillies and nice. the late Peter Jennings. <laughs> William Shatner. William Shatner. We love Shatner. We love bare naked ladies. Um, We're sorry about Nickelback. Yes, and Martin Short is starting to wear thin, so if you could do something about him. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. All I know is, just, you know, as I said earlier, in a fit of irony, he's now on the judging panel for Canada's Got Talent. On that note, Tim Gillies, Joe Maker, guys, thanks for being here. Good night, Canada. <laughs> as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.